This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today we have two of BFM's finest. He is a producer on The Morning Run, and uh, we used to work together at Esquire magazine. Uh, he is uh, Simwe Boon. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. And she is uh, also a producer at BFM, perhaps the youngest person I know, I don't know. She is Julian Yap. Hello, I'm holding that title very closely until someone <laughs> usurps me. Yeah, well, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. So our three topics this week are topic number one is uh, listening to the radio and music and songs. And topic number two is, is advertising a cultural, what was it, Sim? Cultural industry, or rather, like, is it right for advertising to use culture to sell things? Uh huh. And finally, topic number three will be Dalling Who and Francis Light. Ooh, mystery. So, uh, with topic number one, Julian, music on the radio. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, I, I want to talk about this because I thought it was a really weird thing that I started doing throughout this specific MCO 2.0. Exactly. Um, it wasn't something that I did the last year at all, but I found myself almost every night um, feeling really cooped up at home. I haven't been working at the BFM office. I've been at home for the last few months. And um, I just really craved feeling, you know, not like a homebody. So I would um, just go into the car and just sort of like go around the neighborhood. Um, I know we're not supposed to be going out without a purpose, but it was within, you know, housing area. And it would, I just needed to, you know, fiddle with the radio dial because I just sought out the thrill of hearing a song that I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to hear. A few months ago, I was on the show. I told Cam, I told you how I'd gotten into BTS. And it started out where I was just searching. I just really wanted to hear BTS on the radio because listening to them uh, on a Spotify playlist or even putting that playlist on shuffle where I don't know what song's about to come up, it wasn't the same as just going through five minutes of ads and then just hearing a BTS song. The thrill wasn't the same. And I was thinking about how, um, you know, sometimes you go into the, the shop or the supermarket and a song will come on. And there are these big songs that are like cultural touchstones themselves. You have like Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer or uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, The Killer's um, what's the killer song that everyone wants to hear? Um, uh, I don't know, Sim? Uh, I'm at a loss for words right now, but I'm pretty sure if it comes out, everyone knows. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that killer song. Like the thrill of that coming on without any sort of warning and everyone around you, almost everyone around you, d- despite age, everyone kind of understands that thrill of hearing that I think I was craving that in a, in a personal way that I didn't have before this I was just looking for that and I was thinking about how I've grown up in both the times where I did have to discover new stuff on the radio and I did have you know Spotify new new artists of the week new releases of the week I did have I do have both and um, I wanted to know if you know sim we're similar in age like do you feel the same way and you know what a lot of the times uh, radio doesn't necessarily give you the music that you want. This is why I love BFM's music. It's like a little plug, but BFM music is incredible. <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but um, I wanted to ask also, Cam, like, do you have that, 
you know, crave because like I've never had to record a song I really wanted with a cassette. I've never had to do that. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Those are really <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. Yeah, yeah. I think Cam's time is like more like Before AM that. radio. You know, you go to like the, the radio is like the size of a cabinet, right? Yeah, yep, yep. And there's a ship out there somewhere out in the sea that's sort of broadcasting. But uh, by the way, that that killer song is called Mr. Brightside. Thank you. Uh, you Google, you googled that, didn't you? Uh, can I just ask you though, uh, Julian? Is it is it the the serendipity, the chance, the the randomness that you're kind of craving, um, or is it the sense that when BTS is being played, you feel that the world is listening and being purified and joining you in in adulation for the magnificence of um, BTS? the diehard bts fan in me is yes that yeah. but no i think That'll it is them, um, yeah it's really simple it's just <laughs> i want everyone to hear it, the gospel to be spread but like the, the i think the the actual answer is i think i just want to not know what's coming up in mm. a different way than shuffling a playlist yeah. i think it's sort of like being at a club or a party or you know a dance thing and a song comes on that you never thought would come on. Hey, but Sim, go on then. So you, uh, are you with Julian on this? Or are you quite happy with the, the set, knowing what you're going to listen to Spotify thing? Um, I, I get what she means. And this whole like wanting to discover new music and that feeling of like the unknown in a sense. Uh, and, but I don't know if like I go through it necessarily the same way as Julian did. Like, um, I mean, I was a couple of months back or a while back I was getting a bit like oh you know I'm not listening to new music I'm just listening to the same thing over and over again I want to try something new and stuff like that and um, initially you know I was just relying on Spotify or random mixtapes on YouTube or something to kind of like just bring me music but you know I come to discover like things like Spotify because they you know use the technological overlords to spy on you they curate this playlist into exactly what you want so you're not exactly being exposed to anything new. You're just being exposed to something new that they think you like, which is, you know, you, 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 like I'll never get to listen to BTS because I don't usually listen to BTS, so I'll never be exposed to BTS. Um, but I actually stumbled on a podcast slash like music review show where the two hosts reviews uh, new releases every week. And because the two hosts are, they, they have, you know, one's like a former DJ and one just loves like 90s rock music and, pop music the the song choices that they select for you are very random you can go from like a heavy metal to a house DJ production music to like taylor swift or phoebe bridges or something but it's new song so what julian is talking about for me that resonates with me is like you you want something to be given to you or show it to you without you knowing like you know if i play want a new song from spotify or any of these smartphone technology thing that uses algorithm you, you more or less know like it's going to be something kind of like what I've been listening to instead of something totally unexpected. Yeah. See, I, I personally, I do not listen to new music. It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's the, I've decided I've seen a lawyer. <laughs> I've signed an affidavit to that effect. I'm going to do a police report. It's like, whatever. I don't care anymore. So it makes life so much easier. But I, I was listening to a, a radio show talking about um, a lot of people, are, investors are spending huge amounts of money buying the music rights, the publishing rights to, to these uh, libraries of work. And they're finding that in this time of COVID that there's a real call for it because people do want to hear individual songs. And the reason why they want to hear the back catalog is because each song conjures a memory 
or a series of memories for people. So there's an emotional investment in the song and your, your, your response is to that. Like just the other day I was, I was out and a car drove past me and it was playing, um, booming out was David Bowie's Starman. And I can't tell you how happy that made me feel. <laughs> Just out of nowhere, suddenly that pops up and all these memories are coming. But Julian, um, I, I understand where you're coming from. And, and I think before you know it, you're going to be old and you're going to be, you're going to be like, oh, I just want to hear that old BTS song and I never want to hear anything else ever again. So keep going. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait to only listen to BTS when I'm, whenever, age, whatever age I am. Like yeah. 30. Um, so <laughs> we're going to move on though. Sim, advertising. Yes. Okay. So I'm not an ad man, nor am I involved in the advertising industry. Just a disclaimer there. But I am, I guess we are all consumers. So we're entitled to have an opinion on advertising. Um, and I know recently I was just been thinking about like how advertising influences culture or rather, you know, was wondering that, is it a cultural industry in a sense where does advertising prey on culture and uses culture as a tool to, you know, as a means to an end. And I don't know if it's right or wrong to do that, or is it just something inevitable? You know, when you look around you and you see big brands that like, you know, take history or take a, a, a specific person, a specific, uh, a specific race or origin and repurpose it as a tool to sell you something, or even a movement, you know, like recently with BLM movement and there, there's a lot of criticism of brands using it or getting on it to sell you something at the end. And, I'm just curious to get your thoughts about like this issue, if it is an issue. Like, if, you know, like me, I'm Asian, but I don't know how would I feel if a Caucasian brand uses my heritage to sell me something. Mm. But at the same time, it's also normalizing the conversation of like, or exposing or increasing the, um, the, the exposure of Asians. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated thought mm. process i guess and i don't even know why i was thinking about it but i guess i was probably just a shower thought uh julian for me the thing that came to mind was um i think it was um in the u.s when they were talking about maybe prop 8 or legalize legalize i can't remember when this was this was maybe two or three years ago but um around the time when there was a lot of conversation around gay marriage and the rights to get married at all um there were companies that did choose to feature same-sex couples in their commercials and in their ad, in their print ads and stuff, and it did cause an uproar because the, it became a social justice thing. Oh, everyone's trying to tick boxes, and um, but then it always became a very heartwarming thing to have kids. I, I remember seeing a commercial that was buried really quick. I think it faded out into obscurity quite quickly, but um, that featured trans kids. Um, and this was in the UK and around the time when there's so much conversation right now about the rights of trans kids and giving them access to the right health care. But be, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, having that exposure, increasing that exposure um, is important. Um, right now, you know, a lot in the UK and US, I know it's not happening so much here, but like um, the um, hate against Asian Americans or um, Asian diaspora there, having Asians, featuring Asians in commercials showing them um, within communities that I feel that is important. I don't know how I would feel if it was, like you said, I don't know how I'd feel if it was targeted at me, but mm. I would prefer it if it was, you know, in, in the ad conversation, I was thinking about, you know, within Malaysia, um, I think, I don't know if it doesn't feel like we do that too much here. 
But, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're, our, our, our advertising space here, at least the mainstream, you know, because we do produce really good ads, you know, when you think of the Petronas ads, the ones that Yasmin Asmat and all these other um, ads, they do, we have really good quality ads. But I think the mass culture ads, the ones, the more mainstream ones, the ones you see in TV a lot of times, they're not exactly of the best quality and usually are a bit insensitive. And I think, you know, every now and then there's a blackface ad that's done by Malaysians mm. or Malaysian Chinese. And mm. but but you see that that gives me another interesting thought, which is does that mean that advertising is also a reflection of the current cultural mindset? You get what I mean? Like, you know, when you see a blackface ad just done really nearly just like that, does it mean that, you know, the people around us in that circle just really don't care. They're not aware of things like that. Well, I, uh, well, I'd say, you know, you, you, if you want to sell your product, you want to, you want to be part of the zeitgeist. You don't want to be ahead of it. If you'd been doing a, a same-sex marriage thing 20 years ago, you know, even Coca-Cola's sales would have crashed. <laughs> but, you know, you can do it now. But can I just ask one, one quick thing? Is advertising still a thing? I mean, where, where, are you, where are you experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is still a thing. It's a I, don't, huge I, thing. I can't think I mean, that I actually have had any advertising come my way. For a while, I don't know. Well, Cabins I guess ad blockers. Yeah, probably. But I guess advertising has morphed in a sense where now it's all about the Google ads and the algorithms mm, and okay. the, you know, yeah, like you probably don't, but like Julian and me, we you probably use Instagram a lot. And I don't know if people know of the active Instagram users have noticed this, but you know, for every one to two pictures of a friend that was posted, you get served an ad. So at least like every three posts, there's an ad. You know, these mm. you, in fact. Your, your your timeline probably has more ads than actual posts in a sense where the platform has jigged it, rejigged that system to show you more ads. Same goes with Facebook, same goes with Twitter. So I guess advertising has morphed into kind of like, and it's funny because this this culture of like hyper-commercialization, this pushing ads to you was very prevalent, I guess, in the 90s. And then it took a dip because people were talking about like wanting more meaningful ads, more of stuff. And then suddenly it's now morphed into like back to that, that, that thinking of like let's blast you with ads all the time so it's it's interesting but like a lot of people have accused this of like you know this this in, empowers companies to actually change the way society thinks and perceive something you know it, it goes to show like if you have enough money you can change or you can force consumers to think or consume or like desire a certain object or certain thing but the, but what, what the strange thing with advertising is that often the you know the selling products to people say in their twenties maybe even younger, but it's being created by people who are just so much older, perhaps even my age. Um, I was thinking about uh, what you were saying. Like I was thinking about how Shopee, um, for their twelve twelve campaign, they used Pachukang. Um, here, mm. here um, I think it's uh, Southeast Asia, maybe just Malaysia, Singapore. But I was thinking about how I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. Wow. I don't know if any kids. I guess kids. It's on are, Netflix. Oh, okay. I think it's on Netflix, yeah. But also, I don't think kids are the ones doing the shopping, right? They have actually very strategically used this character who has kind of fallen out of the pop culture mindset. Yeah, like 15 but, years ago. I mean, he was great, but it, it was a long time back. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Sim, I, I hope we helped you with your conundrum <laughs> there. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you two to help me with the conundrum that I'm having. Um, when uh, we talk about Dalling Who and Francis Light here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Sim Wei Boon, and Julian Yap. And now, Dalling Who and Francis Light. Now, uh, I happen to be not in Malaysia at the moment, um, 
but with the, the magic of radio and technology and the internet, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't know that. I'm actually in England. I had to come out here very suddenly on an emergency. And, uh, and I am staying um, in, in the county of Suffolk. And about five minutes from where I am right now is this tiny village of Dalling Hoo. Uh, some of you may have watched the, the movie with Ray Fiennes called The Dig, which is set in Sutton Hoo, which is about another 10 minutes away from where I am. Hoo is, um, is a, a spur of land on a ridge. That's a hoo. Um, which, oh. Yeah, which is odd because there are like no hills around here. So I don't know how, how they <laughs> detected a, a slight incline but um so darling who is a tiny tiny village and it is the village where francis light came from francis light is uh, and and people will find it controversial if i use this phrase this is a commonly used phrase he was the founder of penang um and he was uh, christened there he was an illegitimate boy and he was what when are we talking about uh 1750s and he, uh, he went off to Asia. He joined the Royal Navy, went off to Asia and found his fortune, made a big fortune. And so I was walking through this tiny village of Dallinghu, walking past the church. And I got into conversation with this man who is the, the keeper of the keys for the church. And there was nothing I could tell him about Francis Light that he didn't already know. People of this tiny village, they all know about Francis Light because he's easily the most famous man to ever come out of their place. And and he was saying that uh, quite a few Malaysians, he said Malaysians, but I would assume they're Penangites, um, have visited the church and all commented on how come there's no plaque, no nothing to say that Francis Light came from here. And, and I was thinking, yeah, okay. Well, I, I, so I volunteered to, to send him a, a crest, you know, Penang City crest, um, which would be, I could buy off the internet or I could steal it from some school, not a problem. <laughs> Uh, but he, he was hoping to get some something that had a little kind of brass plaque that said, uh, Francis Lightborn here, founder of the city of Georgetown. And I'm, I'm in no, I have no right to do that. But um, I'm not a Penangite, and you two are not Penangites either, I don't think. But um, I was thinking, well, I, you know, I, could, I know people in Penang, I could ask them. But then I thought, well, would they want to be associated with Francis Light? And this British fella, who, in my mind, was not a bad guy. In fact, he was very Malaysian in many ways. He married a Eurasian woman who was um, a Kadar Siamese Portuguese stock, uh, Maria Roselle. And uh, his son actually uh, established the city of Adelaide, William Light. And Malaysians love Australia. And he, uh, <laughs> so he even emigrated to Australia. And Malaysians love emigrating to Australia. So he's very Malaysian man. <laughs> and they kept uh, it in the family. It's a family <laughs> business. <laughs> exactly, emigrating to Australia. Or that would have been Melbourne. He would have preferred Melbourne. But what to do? Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think that that M Malaysia Malaysians could should be uh, making connection with a place like Danny, who sort of saying out loud founder of Penang or I don't know, just remembering that aspect of Malaysian history. I, I'm a big fan of history. So for me, it's no, it's a, it's a no brainer. If Genghis Khan had established Kuala Tringanu, then you know, I'd, I'd want to send something off to wherever Genghis Khan came from. And even if he killed everybody, I'd still want to remember. So um, I don't know. What do you think? 
I was thinking about something similar to this. Um, I was reading about the comfort women of Korea, Japan, and I didn't, I, I, I'd known about comfort women. I didn't know that um, there had been any Malaysian comfort, comfort women at all. Um, because, you know, it's been in the news about how Korea and Japan are in talks um, on, um, you know, resolve, not resolving the history, but sharing that history and making reparations for the sufferings that, that these women went through. I didn't know anything about um, any, anything. That, I didn't know Malaysia's um, history with it. I think a lot of women from Penang, Kedah, uh, Perlis as well. I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, but I was thinking about the same thing. I was, I was wondering if... Malaysia would ever do something um, to recognize that past or to ever make that con that connection. Um, I think uh, there there's a there's a small town in Ireland that and a very small um, reservation in America, both of which helped each other a lot during the Irish potato famine. And today they recognize each other, where they have plaques in both their respect respective cities, where they do say. Um, you know, we are sister cities um, and they're helping each other throughout the COVID pandemic as well. Um, I don't feel that's something that Malaysia would ever do. I don't know if that's me being unpatriotic, but or, you know, but I don't, it seems like we weren't even properly taught who Francis Light was. You don't get the entire history. I think for me, I would think that proper education I mean, outside of, you know, university education, history education, but um, just at, as a primary school student, no, no education at all about who he is besides just, oh, Francis Light, Penang. I think that's the first step. Mm. Sim? Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like two things, right? Like, it's easier to reconcile with your past history if it was a good one. It was like you know, it evokes a positive emotion and stuff like that. And I guess it's harder to reconcile with a more horrible past. I don't know where people stand in terms of Francis Light and Penang. I'm not from Penang, so I can't say much. Though I do come from the standpoint that if you forget history and you choose to bury it, the repercussions tend to be bad. And I don't think, and it's, it's just, you know, I don't think that should be done. But so you, you were saying you're not from Penang, which is true. You are mm -hmm. from Sarawak. And yes. Sarawak, of course, has that uh, very long history with Brook family. Um, where mm -hmm. do you, where do you personally, and, and where do you think Sarawakians stand on remembering that? Um, it's interesting in a sense where, like, from those that I've spoken to, um, but I think the younger generation people, when I speak to them, they have a more oblivion attitude to them. You know, people like my cousin, and they're like, oh, he's just, he's just some guy, yeah. Some, some white dude. I heard they're making a movie about him. Stuff like that. But when you speak to the older people, they tend to have like more views on it. You know, some would have, you know, like, oh, you know, he's the imperialist. You know, he came and upended all our lives. But there are some that are like, you know, well, we wouldn't have roads if it wasn't because of him. You know, I mean, if you speak to like maybe the Dayaks, they would be like, no, he killed our ancestors. So we don't like him. So it's an interesting conversation when you talk to natives about their imperialistic past overlords. You know, the, the, these people come, took over the country, um, enslaved them, um, you know, ruined their culture, but at the same time, modernized them and brought them a whole bunch of other things. So, you know, you need to look at it and analyze it as, as it is without kind of taking an emotional stand. But, you know, in Malaysia, at least, the way we treat our history is very emotional. 
Mm. Um, you know, the way we treat our history sometimes overlooks the fact, you know, when we have conversations about communists or socialism, we, we immediately forget the fact that, you know, in the older days, it was a real movement. It was a real conversation and it brought about a lot of change. And, you know, there was, it was a pivotal time in Malaysia, but we choose, or rather the history books that of the mainstream choose to erase all of that fact. And every time a conversation about communism comes up, you immediately um, kind of like associate that with evil atheistic monsters that want to destroy your way of life. You know? So, it, and, and when that happens, it changes how people think or plan or look in the future or connect with other people of the same level. Like, Yeah, there is a real uh, tendency. Um, it's really locked in to look at everybody as either a good guy or a bad guy. Um, exactly. And and he, we, we, we can all off the top of our heads quote all the various people who would be considered to be uh, the bad guys in Malaysian history. And if you made a list of the ones who are portrayed as the good guys, you might find quite a lot of them actually were members, members of UMNO. I don't know how that happened. What a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, I, I am going to send some emails out to uh, Penangites, but I, I really don't hold out much hope, actually. I don't think that anybody I mean, will you respond. Should... You should ask them what they think. What and, they you think. Know, yeah. I guess you, in all walks of life, you have people that are very, very attached to their home country, you know, nationalists, <laughs> you know, and you have those that are a bit ambivalent about it, those that move to Australia after a while, you know. And you know, when, you, when you bring up a subject like this, you get two varied answers, right? You know, those that move to Australia, like, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me, but those that are very attached to their home country, they're like, no, you cannot do that. That's not right. Or just leave it as it is. It's already okay. Yeah. I'm thinking a little bit also about Stanford Raffles and Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Their university, their, their, their roads. But it is also, I, I, I don't know, Singapore education, I don't know how much um, of I don't, all of that. I don't know how much of it is covered, but it's, you know, it, yeah. The, the, the lionizing of uh, Stanford Raffles is, uh, is quite <laughs> incredible. Um, from 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 a Malaysian perspective, uh, I'm just going to conclude with uh, two things. One is that um, I don't personally like to really sort of like just go down on like good guy, bad guy, because you know our perspectives on history change day by day, and before you know it, the good guys are the bad guys, and you can't keep up. So for me, it's just simply a statement of fact. You know, there's this guy, Francis Light. He came from here, and he went to here, <laughs> and how you then interpret it is is up to you. And the, the final thing I'd say is that Aust- you said about um, Australians and stuff, uh, their coffee is not nearly as good as they think it is. It, it, re- it really isn't. Okay. So take that Australia. Uh, <laughs> but they're really good at brunch though. At least that's what I've heard. I've actually never brunch, but not the Australia. coffee. <laughs> we, we move on. Though. So where, where, where did you get the best? Where, where have you had the best yeah, coffee what, in What are life? the recommendations? Well, I, I haven't had coffee in Italy, but I've had coffee from Italy and Italian coffee. Italy is the best. But anyway, that'll be, a, that'll be an entire <laughs> show for another day. Um, so we must move on, though, to uh, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Julian Yap goes first. Uh, I would like to recommend a film that is on Amazon. So you can, it's, it's gettable, definitely. And it's definitely legal. And it's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Um, it's a film starring Kristen Wiig 
and Annie Mamolo. Um, they're both, they both, of course, have been on SNL. This entire film feels like an extended SNL sketch. It's like SNL that's not cruel. SNL, I think, a lot of the times does go for the cheap shot. This film feels like um, everything that we sort of need, where there's a crab that's called Morgan Freeman. Um, you've got Jamie Dornan, who is kind of like this, like the kind of clueless, um, hopelessly in love villains um, assistant. Um, he's basically, you know, someone who's very, everyone in this film is super aware of the kind of silly film that they're all doing. And is it's an incredibly earnest film. Basically these two friends, Barb and Star, who are from small town, Minnesota, they um, go out to Florida to Vista Del, Vista Del Mar and they get um, caught up in uh, a plot to destroy the world. So it's like Spy Kids for adults. Um, but it's it felt when I was watching it, it was incredibly heartwarming and just like it, it it's like sunshine in a film and it's like funny and it felt great when I was watching it. I think Sounds perfect. should try it. Sounds yeah. perfect for these COVID times. I'm, I'm always yeah. looking for something which is just sort of just straight up fun without. Yeah. It is a bit quirky if mm. if that matters. It is very SNL if anyone mm. um, doesn't like that, you know. Mm. OK, what's it called again? Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, and uh, and and you can get it in a perfectly legal on, way on Amazon. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Sim, Sim, what you got? Um, okay, uh, it's uh, I would want I want to recommend this magazine, or online magazine called Mel Magazine, M E L Magazine. So it's a what's the website? This the website is M E L M A G A. Z-I-N-E.com. So it's a men's magazine, but it's interesting because I found it out about a magazine through a podcast I was listening to where they were interviewing the podcast and they were talking about the content that the magazine produces and I checked it out. I haven't looked through its archives and whatnot because it's only been a few days, but um, it talks about men interests, but in a way that's not like how the general or generic men's magazine mostly do like men's health or GQ one or where it's about fashion or it's about... Um, sex or it's about movies or how to be a man but these touch on very deep and real issues that's very hard to find you know like one of the most popular articles is a feature on pro-choice men dealing with their partner's abortion you know questions like this you know where they talk about like how do you feel if your brother is trans and like these very real questions that are somewhat still taboo in mainstream men uh, mainstream male culture so um but of course, they also have the general kind of like movie reviews and stuff like that. But the, the, it, it's, it's a, it's, I, I thought it was a, re- I, I think it's a really cool uh, um, a men's magazine. Um, although it's uh, owned by a brand, a men's product brand, uh, but you don't really see the ads being served or anything. It's just they fund it and like it's an online magazine. And yeah, do go check it out. Uh, it's 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 pretty cool, especially you know if you want to kind of like read uh, if you're a man and you want to read about more deeper issues rather than just what's the best jacket to wear. Do you, do you think it'll last? Do you think it'll work? Um, it's well. So the interview uh, that I was listening to, they were talking. They, they have actually gotten more and more uh, page views, and people are being you know the 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 people are reading more uh, or they're getting more at page views because you know, the features are really, there's conversations about like vasectomy, you know, like 
the experience, the consequence, the the kind of like why people do it and stuff like that. So, and I think, you know, these aren't regular conversations that normal guys would have generally, but it's the type of thing where, oh, you know, like, yeah, what you, you don't see it being talked about a lot. And I guess when you see something like that, you are curious to know, mm. you know, rather than being served up all these articles about like just more kind of like generic stuff, like, you know, like what movie you should watch or something like that. Yeah. I was walking past um, uh, a mother with her young child, young boy. And, and the mother said, uh, do you want to read a magazine? And the young boy <laughs> said, yes, <laughs> that's an old soul, but he may grow up to, to read your magazine. Uh, the Sim. What <laughs> Well, well, this this is it's an online magazine, so they, it's it, it's not physical, you know. You, oh, well, you either read through your phone or laptop. Well, there, there, there's a kid out there who wants to have but, a physical. Uh, but I think the conversations that they were having in the ma- in this uh, mag online magazine is good. You know, they, they even talk about like how do you men, how should men, or how or they ask questions like how do men talk about, uh, you know, talk about sex in an age of Me Too. You know, how do you approach topics like that? And, and you know, there aren't many. Uh, many magazines, even men's magazines that approach such a topic because they're rather steer away from it. And at the same time, maybe because we're guys, we shouldn't have an authority to say about women experiences and everything. But I, I, I thought it was interesting mm. to kind of read into stuff like that. What's it called again? It's called Mel Magazine, M-E-L-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E dot com. Right. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Um, so my recommendation is, uh, well, it's all a bit Englishy, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's in keeping with Downing Who and where I am. It's the movie, The Dig, uh, that came out on Netflix a short while ago and, uh, starring Rafe Fiennes and what's her name? Car- Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. It was really good. I really liked it. Um, it wasn't actually filmed here. It was filmed somewhere, somewhere else in, uh, in England, but, uh, you wouldn't know. Um, it's um i it was so much it was more than it was more than just about the dig the archaeology behind uh, the, the 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 discovery in Sutton Hoo in 1939 of this huge um, anglo-saxon ship and this this the hoard burial hoard that was inside there it's about you know the, the archaeology of people finding out about people and who they really are um and it, it was very it was very much like a terence malick movie um I, I don't know if you two guys are familiar with the works of Terence Malick, uh, a great filmmaker. Well, he used to be. He's getting a bit strange now. It was it was a think piece, and it was it was beautifully told, clearly on quite a small budget, but it, it looked epic in its own way. And um, and I, I really liked it. Um, you don't, I mean, you know, I love history, and so they had me at dig. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was there. And uh, but it is it is. Is it an accurate portrayal? Because you know, history movie tends to dramatize things. Yeah, there, there, there was a, a quite a bit of dramatization. There was one character in particular who never existed, and other characters who were in a marriage, and the marriage actually broke up at a later date, and not necessarily for the reason they pointed out, and uh, you know, things like that. But it all, it all, who cares? It all, it all, it worked into the <laughs> seamless narrative. Uh, have you seen it? Haven't you, Julian? Yep, I've seen it. This is. This the dig is the exact opposite of my film, so um, depends on what film. It depends on what what you're feeling like. If you wanna, it feels very summer, um, you know, out on the porch, have a lemonade sort of film, or um, cuddle up with your blanket at night sort of film. Yeah, mm. it mm. is nice. 
I wish we'd seen more more artifacts though. I that's yeah. that's my one thing about it. I I wanted to see more artifacts. So that's Cam can tell me more about it. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, on a, on a future episode of Bit of Culture, perhaps uh, we'll talk more at length about Sutton Who, because it's really beautiful stuff they found. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, anyway, so that brings us to the end of this week's show. And uh, and, and so, it only remains for me now to thank back in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, uh, Julian Yap. Thank you so much. Simwe Boon. Thanks for having me. Here I am in Suffolk, in England on a very cold day and it's really <laughs> hot out there i understand whereas it's really cold out here i'm wearing four layers well thanks for joining us and please join us next week for uh what's going to be quite a special episode next week uh not that this wasn't this was very special you know sorry guys it was fantastic yeah and, sure sure sure, sure. <laughs> no, no, no 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 really no i mean it and uh <laughs> on a previous episode we we allowed julian to play out uh with a bts song but we're not going to do that again so, so this this episode just ends with silence. Exactly. No, it should be the killers, Mr. Brightside. <gasps> okay, well, we should I, give I, the people what they want. All right. Well, <laughs> if if or Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah. Okay. How about that then? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll speak. I'll we'll give, let producer Ali choose. He's going to have a choice, right? He's got the killers, Mr. Brightside, Mr. Brightside, Rolling Stones, She's a Rainbow, or I also mentioned David Bowie, Starman. So I think that should be so in the next. So you don't have know you what's heard? coming up. Yeah, exactly yeah 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 so stay listening for the radio it's just like it's crazy so please join us next week for another exciting episode of a bit of culture here on bfm 89.9 thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station <laughs>